Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters into the synagogues in Damascus so that he found, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. A contradiction in terms there, if you ask. Someone knocks at the door. Sorry, who are you, Peter? He knew this was more than just another traveler. This was an epiphany. This was something that could only be supernatural. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything, nothing. So they led him by hand to Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. So he has already two different ways we see God speaking. By his Holy Spirit, audibly, but audibly inwardly, because no, the others never heard the sound. But Paul heard the words, and now we see God speaking through a vision. Those are two of the twelve ways God speaks to us. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. That's pretty direct. <laughs> I was at a conference meeting in Hong Kong, and uh, Rob had... Uh, Joshua Mills preaching, and while he was preaching, he was saying, I see this number, he named it, I see the, this name, and I think it's a street, and then I see, I think the suburb is, and I think it's, and I think it's somewhere in Australia, and the next minute, Finney stood up and just fell on his face. He said, that's exactly where we live. I think that will get your attention. I think now you're ready to hear a word. In, a, in this vision, this man has seen, in the vision, this man, talking about Paul, has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So, so there's, a whole lot, there's a whole lot going on here. This was a very religious man being very sincere about protecting his religion, but being very sincerely wrong. Religion can be one of the most brutal, destructive forces on earth. 
You think of the, the crusades of the 1500s and 1600s and the, the damage and the desolation that was brought. You look through church history and you see how churches have fought against each other and denominations have, have, have suppressed new uh, denominations with a different vision, like the Lutherans persecuting the, the, the Baptist movement, and the Baptists, the Pentecostals, and the Pe- Pentecostals, the Crazymatics. And you, you see throughout history that there's this, man, religion can be brutal. And in Paul's mind, he was doing the right thing. And he was traveling And he needed a revelation of the presence of God. He needed a revelation of the presence of the way that he was persecuting. I don't know what your conversion story looks like. Do you want to get someone's interest? Ask them to tell you how they got saved. It's always a great way to start a conversation. Well, I, I didn't know a clue about going to church or reading a Bible. All I know is I was hitchhiking from Durban back to Johannesburg. But God had gone ahead of me, like he did with Saul, and he prepared a man by the name of Neil Fryment, who lived in Newcastle, who was the YFC, the Youth for Christ, director. And he happened to be friends of a family I was staying with in Newcastle. And when I got there and I met this guy, there was something different about him. Could have been he smiled from one ear to the other. That was quite unusual. There was a shine about him. And when I found out that he was a Christian, I was so excited to have someone to argue with. Because I... Never been to church, never read the Bible, but I knew why God didn't exist. And I knew why Christianity was a big fraud. And I let him have it. And he sat there and he listened and he listened. He said, can we talk some more about this? And we met somewhere sometime. And he had a whole file with him. And he opened and he said, these were some of the interesting things I found when I was on the journey you are. And he took me to archaeological discoveries of things that were in towns that were believed to be mythological, but that actual architecture had discovered and the time zones and the places and the names. And then he started speaking about the event that happened in history that had such an impact on the Roman Empire and how that, unwo- and he took me through all the stuff you say is head knowledge, but I sat there wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. And the more he spoke, the more I seemed to just dr- eat and drink. And he said, listen, next weekend we're going away, we're playing some sport, come along. I went along, I got tricked into giving my life to Jesus. That's right, I got tricked. Because sitting at the back of that church, someone's, my cousin said, hey, listen, I had no idea what an altar call was, but I did see some people getting up and going to the front. And he says, if you go, I'll go. And I'm like, well, I've done everything else. I've tried everything else. Let me try this going to the front thing. I got up and walked. Obviously, he didn't come. And suddenly, walking halfway up there, I got hit like with a two-by-four between the eyes. 
And you talk about Paul's scales. Well, did I get that far? Not yet. Lord, Ananias says, verse 13, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all of us on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings. Uh, Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized. Wow. Do you remember when your scales came off? Maybe for some of you it was a gradual descaling. You know, you were a bit scaly and then you got saved and you got descaled. Some of you, maybe it was an instant, like the, the shutters came off and it was just like, what? How could I not see this before? I stood there, I was sobbing, my tears were just running down, my shirt was drenched. The poor person who came and stood behind me, everyone else had gone home and we were still standing there. Literally, my eyes were, I could not stop the tears running. God had sent somebody ahead of me because he was only there for a very short time in Newcastle, then moved on. And when I came to Durban, I bumped into him at a shopping center. And we arranged, we had supper together about 20 years ago. And I just told him, and he was blown away that my story of my life and my ups and downs and my falling apart and my getting up again and trying again and, and how God had just brought us through and our ma- being married and children. But God sends somebody ahead of you at some stage of your life. And I want to tell you today, God has gone into your future. Right now, whatever you're looking at, whatever you're facing, as a believer, it wasn't only to get you into the faith, to have your eyes opened. Right now, God has gone into your future and he's preparing somebody. There's an Ananias there somewhere in your future waiting. And the scales will come off again. Jesus says to Paul, why are you hurting me? Why are you kicking against the goats? To hurt the church is to hurt Jesus. Paul was persecuting the church. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because To hurt the church is to hurt Jesus. And I think we all have to take a moment and admit that there have been times we've hurt the church. I've seen leaders being hurt by people in their church. But I've also seen leaders hurt the church. And I myself have had to to be honest and say, 
there's some blind spots that need the hands of Ananias to be removed from my eyes so that I can see clearly that I'm not the stumbling block in somebody's life. Amen? Because someone pointed out to me recently, he says, Steve, I love your sense of humor, but it just errs on the side of sarcasm. What? Me? Never. I told someone in the church the other day, they said, we've known that for like 15 years. But just because we love you and we get you, we stick with you. <laughs> so I said to Janet, remember, the safest thing is just say nothing. That way you can't get into trouble. Just like another friend of mine says, Steve, I never know when you're joking or you're telling the truth. But when you've got a Bible in your hand, I know you're telling the truth because you preach the truth. So I said to Janet, maybe any time I should talk is when I've got a Bible in my hand. Amen? Will you receive the Word of God? When I haven't got a Bible in my hand, okay, just buy me coffee. So here we see that Paul was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. As many religions today and in Christianity itself, they are mixing law and grace. They're sincere about it, but they are brutalizing the sheep. People have got enough problems in their life than to go to church and be beaten up again. And they go to church week after week after work. I've heard somebody say, I feel bad enough in my life. Why would I want to go to church and feel worse? Because there is a tendency in mixing the covenants where you can make the Bible a manipulative tool to make people feel guilty and do whatever you want them to do. Including money, especially money. I got a phone call last year sometime. Guy swearing. I know the guy. He was in our church for years. Swearing, dropping bombs, four-footed bombs from heaven. I said, what's going on? He says, I'm taking you to the court. I'm going to sue you and the church. I said, well, 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 slow down now. Slow down. Oops, I nearly said his name. He said, I want all the money back I gave to the church because you lied to me. You said if I gave, God would bless me and I'm not blessed. And I demand every cent back and I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to sue the church. And I'm like, you think we should have done another job, my sweetheart? You think we should have done something else rather? This is what I've put this woman through. Obviously, he sat under a time of the covenants being mixed, and he felt manipulated. And then he thought God was a, a, a gambling machine, and you put in and you get out. And whatever his, his stuff was, he was dealing with his stuff. But it became the church. But when we hurt the church, we are hurting Jesus. And it works both ways. People only hear stories about pastors who get hurt. Others only hear stories about people that got hurt by pastors. But they both have got one thing in common. It's the body of Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? We've got to keep this in context. We've got to keep this in our mind all the time. I remember sitting with Rodney Howard Brown. Some of you may remember him. 
remember him. NCMI days, Bloemfontein conference, sitting with a couple in our church that had quite a high profile, and they were about to, to, to leave the church, and they wanted a meeting with us. And he just said one thing, and it, st- it struck me between the eyes I've never forgot. What will the impact of your leaving have on the church? Because it's not about you. It's about the church. <sighs> suddenly I felt released. Suddenly they felt sober. And suddenly it didn't become about them and us. It became about the church. Oh, well, you know, it'll be easier just to like roll out of my bed into a meeting. I don't know if you spend, you know, 20 rands petrol on a Sunday. And, okay, what's the impact of you stepping out of that place? Have you raised up somebody to take that place? Or is the finger going to go missing and we only clap with nine fingers on Sunday? Or, or have you raised up a finger so that in your departing, the body doesn't hurt, the church doesn't hurt, the church doesn't have to... Are, are you tracking with me this morning? Every action we have has an opposite and equal reaction. We have to soberly think about how I'm treating the church. And in recent times, trust me, I've had to do a lot of soul searching. And I've had to do a lot of apologizing. And I've had to do a lot of inner, inner stuff in my own life. I've had to get to the pastor and say, please help me. I want to be better. I'm clearly not doing a good job. And I want to be around for the next 20 years. I want my family to be better off. I want the church to be better off. Maybe there's some of you sitting here. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. Maybe you got to. Uh, maybe you got to go see somebody. Hello. And say, what's my attitude towards the church? Do I just see it as a convenient little happy clappy gathering, or do I rep- see a representation of the body of Jesus, of which I was added as a member? And if one member hurts, the whole body hurts. And if that's the case, maybe I need to tone down, step back, pull back a little bit. I need to be effective in my ministry, my serving. So he has a revelation from God. God has gone ahead of him. Like he went ahead of me and he went ahead of many other people here. There was a time, some of you know the story, early 80s, my late wife and I had a car accident. I decided I I, I would stay at Newcastle for a couple of months and then I'm going to take a long holiday when, after about a year. And I was going to travel down the north coast of, of, of uh, the west coast from Mozambique right down to Durban. And on the way planning, I got this prompting like, oh, just, go to Sp- just go home first. Go, go to Springs. Go to your... Yes, I do come from Springs. I confess. <laughs> I, apo- I don't apologize or give me your condolences. But, and, and, and I remember thinking, okay, I'll go through there, I'll spend a night, I'll go to Wendell, find out my brother's going to church. That's a big thing in our family because no one goes to church except me and my, my granny who got saved. So now my brother's going to church, he's taking my sister, 
So he tells me, and I had a picture where it was. And to this day, Janet will vouch for me. Don't just give me directions. Give me a GPS and a pin, okay? So I found myself in the wrong church. So I got one day in Springs. I'm in this church. I don't know. I'm like looking around going, oh, my gosh. There's no brother here. I mean, you've had cell phones. I lived before cell phones. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking around at, I see this familiar face because while I was doing my compulsory military time, a friend of mine invited me to his place. I met his girlfriend. And here she was standing in the church, but she wasn't a Christian. So I'm like shocked to see her here. Yeah? And I say, hello, aren't you Janet, Janet Reynolds? See, I proposed straight away. I said, yeah, you'll be Janet Wheeler. <laughs> now I said, aren't you, aren't you Janet Reynolds? She says, yes, and who are you? So I said, I'm, I'm even a uh, friend. I met you that time in, at your place. And what, well, Stephen Wheeler? Yes. She says, everybody in Springs knows Stephen Wheeler. And not for the right reasons. And you not Stephen Wheeler. That's me. I promise. Look, I was book. No, no, I know Stephen Wheeler. And I've never won an argument since then. Okay. So it turns out eventually she believes me and she says, oh, I remember you, that guy that came and you had your photographs and you're showing me your, your wife and pictures of your wedding. And I was so impressed that this army girl had, had and I remember saying in my heart, Lord, one day when I get married, I want to marry someone who loves his wife like this. God had already sent somebody ahead of me. After a very painful journey in my life, someone had sent somebody ahead, got me lost on the way to church, not knowing east from west. I get to a church. Oh, the pastor is preaching on prayer. And he says, now we're going to break up. I'm going to count to ten, and the ones go there, the two goes there, the three goes there. And he goes, ten, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, la, 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 la. So I end up in this group. That was the group where I stood and I saw and I recognized her. Do you think God goes ahead of you sometimes to organize and set up things strategically because he cares for you? Now, Ananias was very reluctant because he had preconceived ideas about Paul and for good reason. This is the guy that's going around murdering people pulling prisoners, making prisoners out of Christians, and you want me, Lord, to go and see him? Lord, this is, this is not on my bucket list. You know, maybe a skiing trip in the Alps, I'm up for that. You know, a visit in the Far East, I'm up. But go to this murder, murderer of Christians, and, and, and he was very reluctant because Sometimes doing what God has shown us to do is not comfortable. He might send someone ahead of you. He might send someone to you. But in the journey of that, sometimes there's a reluctance. Come on. I'm looking so spiritual this morning. There's times when God's shown us to do things 
that weren't the comfortable thing to do. Sometimes God has shown us the thing that wasn't the hip, modern thing to do, but he showed us something to do, and it wasn't for us that we were doing it. It was for somebody else. And only heaven's going to reveal that. We're supposed to have a photo uh, video this morning uh, about the feeding that took place here last Saturday. Uh, Freddie's team were there with all the food and feeding the poor on the corner here, and they took photos. And we're going to have a little video played. Maybe we'll do it next week. But it's to the song, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was alive, that was And I heard that song. I haven't heard, when last did you hear that song? Okay, Robbie, I know you listen all the time. But the rest of you, I mean, when last did you hear that song? And it's like, that's it. Somebody's going to say thank you. Thank you that you were that missionary from out of town that came and brought the word. Thank you for being that person who supported the ministry that reached me. Thank you for being that person who came at the bus stop and told me God's not against me, that he's for me. Only eternity is going to show that. But now, in this life, it's sometimes uncomfortable to do what the Lord tells you to do. And I've prepared a teaching out of Acts as I've read through, and I've just been amazed at how the Holy Spirit speaks to people. And I, as I say, I got to 12, and then I thought, no, let me just stick to Paul. There's a few other cases from his life, but I'll stick with this passage I've read this morning. That we all need scales to fall from ours. Because we all come with our own presuppositions, our own experiences, our own ba- backgrounds, our own interpretation of things. Man, I can stand here and speak a sermon, and one person will come back and say, what did you mean about the Antichrist? And another person will come back and say, uh, what did you mean? One person will say, oh, I was so bored this morning. Another person will say, oh, it was the best I ever... What? People come with their own filters. Hello? We all do. We all come to the table with filters. And the biggest part of communication and healthy listening skills is really to find out what are my filters. Because I had a filter pointed out this week by my pastor coach that when he said it, I was like, how did you get to that conclusion? What? Sweet little me. And because he's a loving, wise, kind, mature man of God, highly respected. We sat and spoke about it. And suddenly it felt like the scales didn't come totally off, but they started getting loose. And just maybe God wants to deal with some of your presuppositions. Some of the ideas you've really made up your mind on. Some of the things you've said.
but have been brought through a filter, like Ananias, but still do what God tells you to do. Because therein is someone's life. Ananias may only have touched one person in his life. He might have only reached one soul for Jesus. But that person's name was Paul, who became the apostle to the Gentiles. And as we look in the next few sessions, over the next few weeks, at his life, you're going to see what this one act of obedience achieved for the kingdom, for the church, for you and I sitting here today with the apostolic canon of scripture of the early church. Just one person. Can we stand?